Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Greetings and welcome to Military Network Radio. We're very glad you've joined us this morning. We have a very interesting show for you today. I think one of the hardest things for people to find when they're looking for help in the veterans world is who do they call and how do they know if someone is knowledgeable about the advocacy area that they're looking into. There are so many organizations, but when you Google it, that's an overwhelming process. And then when you go to find out your particular issue, it's a very difficult time to find out who is the expert in whatever your issue is. Now, the big VSOs often have representatives at the medical centers and are very good generally with benefits. And yet, as you go on in your um, transition out into the civilian world or you're still processing claims over a long period of time, it's difficult to find those that can help you. And so, Justin, are you on with us today? I am. Thank you. Great to be here. Wonderful, Justin. Thanks. <laughs> I was just talking about when you have the issues that are so huge, and you and I are both very familiar with the bureaucracies and working through DOD and the IDES process and the medical retirement and even just the regular transition process from separation. When the issues are enormous or pervasive, do you think it's getting any easier or more difficult to discern the context you need for your particular issue? I just love your opinion. Well, yeah, this is all very complicated, so I'm excited to have our guests on here. I'm, I'm um, not as involved with this on a daily basis the way I used to be, especially when I was going through the process myself. I will, and the whole... It was supposed to be easier with electronic filing and all that. doesn't sound like it's working out that great, but, but perhaps it is. That being said, I do hear from a number of folks who have trouble filing their claims and don't know where to turn. And for some reason, they don't feel like they're getting uh, the care or the support they need from the VA and, and making this a pretty seamless process. I know years ago... One of the bigger issues was the lack of manpower there, the lack of expertise, and the fact that today's warriors are suffering from a multitude of injuries and, and disabilities and claims uh, compared to previous years. And that was part of the problem as well. Each claim was taking a lot longer. I don't know how much that has changed in the last few years. Yeah, it, you bring up a good point. The fully developed claims process was meant to make sure everybody got it all right at the right time. In yeah. some ways, that has caused further delays. So I, I want to bring in a veteran service advocacy organization that you may not have heard of, but I would like to shine a light on them today. And they're called Veteran Warriors. And Veteran Warriors Advocacy is run by two amazing Navy vets, retired now. And I want to introduce to you Lauren and Jim Price. Lauren, are you with us? Yes. Good morning, Linda. Thanks for having us. Good morning. And Jim, welcome to you as well. 
Jim's not on the call this morning. I'm oh, sorry. Jim, Jim finally had understood. No problem. The, the interesting part about bringing up veteran warriors is that in terms of finding very passionate and very interested and, and also very well informed about veterans issues is that I'd love you to tell us your background story and how you began in this realm because you yourself are a vet, your husband is a vet, he is your caregiver. Um, there's a lot of intertwined programs that you've been involved with, but you've taken it a step further and you have gone on to a much bigger role in trying to help your brothers and sisters in service. So if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about what you do and why you do it. Well, we are a national advocacy and lobbyist organization, and that's very specific. We're different from VSOs. We don't handle claims or case-related issues. Uh, we have in the past gotten involved when there are extremely egregious cases of either neglect, uh, malfeasance, or just denial of services or benefits. Our purpose is, in the big picture, is to see a full overhaul of the VA. And that is all seven sectors, uh, the VBA, the VHA, hiring, which is HR, contracting, and on down the line. We got involved because my husband and I both served in combat in Iraq and basically the worst part of the war, uh, all of 07. Uh, we did 13 months over in Iraq. Uh, I was a convoy driver. He was a first sergeant and convoy commander. And I was actually the first person at MacDill Air Force Base, which is where CENTCOM is housed, Mm -hmm. to go through what is now called IDES, but at the time it was called the BDD, the Benefits Delivery and Discharge Program. It was piloted at seven large bases, CENTCOM being one of them. And what we saw was just a, you know, here's some money, here's a program, here's what we want you to do with it and run with it. There was no forward thinking and forward planning on how to actually make this program function. And I guess from everything that we see now, which is nine years later, or excuse me, eight years later, it is still functioning in the exact same way. And part of that is the lack of interoperability between the VA and the DOD in the electronic health system. Mm -hmm. When you come home with multiple injuries from combat, it, in the VA world, it turns into what's called a complex claim. And mine was a complex claim I had, I was claiming when I got home and going through the process, I had five issues that I was claiming. And you duplicated care or quasi care, you got duplicated evaluations. The VA and the DOD won't even accept each other's documents. Uh, you had to go through every single evaluation twice, um, including the ratings process and when you go through a med board, all of these things are duplicated. And because neither would accept each other's paperwork, you literally had to do double duty and still, at the time I was still on active duty. Um, over the course of time, all three of my sons who served in the military, two of which are combat veterans, and I saw also what they were going through, what other brothers and sisters were going through as they were coming home. And after Jim and I retired, uh, it 
kind of started small, helping other vets locally, and then it turned into and blossomed into a very large national network. We now work exclusively on the national advocacy level. We have testified at Congress about complex claims because we did a two-year evaluation of the VBA and the claims process, how it's broken, what needs to be done to have it fixed. And we even predicted at that point during that testimony in December of 2013, that based on the current process that the VBA is using, that we would end up exactly where we are with the appeals being at over 700,000 claims. So now we are currently working on an investigation we started last summer. Um, I'm a 100% disabled veteran. I have a terminal lung disease amongst other injuries. My husband is my full-time caregiver. Uh, he was terminated without cause last August from the caregiver program. And what we discovered were fabrications by the staff involved in order to support the revocation. When we started do digging into it further, we discovered that this was not an isolated case. It was a national culling of the herd we now have, after a nine-month investigation <clears throat> and received reports from Congress, discovered that it, since September of 2014, 26,100 caregivers have been revoked from the program. And that is actually even more than are actually in the program at this time. Right now, there's 22,631 in the program overall. You know, Lauren, let me break in and ask a question. I Let's get to the caregiver program in in general, uh, perhaps after the first break. We're coming up on a break. I'm intrigued to know how this bloomed for you, how this came into being helping locally and then realizing that it was at a legislative level at the Hill, uh, that it was a policy level. You don't have we have about two and a half minutes. And those are the issues that are really large and that, it's pretty amazing. A, a, a husband and wife, two vets, took this on. And did you find this to be something that you really had no choice? It was calling you to do, and you could make a difference? Or was it just you fell into it? Both. We <laughs> fell into it and discovered that this is what I'm good at. Um, Jim is our, his actual title is senior logistics chief because he was a senior chief in the Navy. And he makes sure I get where I need to be and takes care of me to make sure sometimes I need to be removed from a situation. Um, with me, it was the black and white injustice of people being you know, terminated, not denied benefits and services that they rightfully earned in spite of law, the facts. So if I could step in, we're going to go on this quick break. If I could step in, you're talking about possibly the communication, the messaging, and the policy that's being enacted, and perhaps some of its inconsistencies. And I would love to talk more about that after the break. I'm sorry we have to break this up with breaks. How tedious. But at any rate... We will be going on a short break. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we'll be back right after these short messages. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. 
is Devi Kidd from NewsWithViews.com. My new book, Taking Politics Out of Solutions, is now available. Why is it nothing changes no matter who you vote for? My book covers the most critical issues eating this country alive, as well as the solutions that are already there that Congress and the agenda-driven media don't want you to know. From the disaster of our economy, why we will never have any economic freedom until the Fed is abolished, trade, the meltdown underway called Obamacare, the truth about Social Security and Medicare, and the fraudulent ratification of the 17th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, a very big issue that affects every American. The answers and solutions are in my book that all Americans need to read because the worst is coming at us like a freight train. To order, please call one 800 955 One evening in 1929, William Lear and Elmer Wavering of Quincy, Illinois, were out driving with their girlfriends. One of the girls suggested it would be even more romantic if they could listen to music. The guys liked the idea and started tinkering with installing a home radio in the car. They sold their idea to a radio manufacturing company and applied for a loan with a local banker to get production started. Thinking it might sweeten the deal, they installed one of their new radios in the banker's vehicle. Unfortunately, the banker's car caught on fire and they didn't get the loan. They must have felt like Dunder Klumpens. Not giving up, they drove to a radio convention and sat outside in the car with the radio blasting. Soon, orders were pouring in and taking a cue from the Victrola because their radio was going in a car, they called it the Motorola. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're talking with Lauren Price about veteran warriors and the advocacy they do. And on the break, we were talking briefly about the fact that we will dive into their current project, which is the VA Caregiver Program. But before that, Justin had a question about the claims process in general and some of the issues that are still arising even though there are small changes being made over time, it, it appears as though this is, uh, how did you put it, Lauren, um, on the Hill the other week? A battleship does not turn around in a parking lot. Right. But it does, <laughs> but it does seem as though changing course, while difficult, um, progress should be made. So, Justin, let me ask you your, you ask your question, please. Yeah, and, and the reason I'm, I'm personally very interested, not just as a veteran, but one of the Marines who helped save my life in Iraq when, uh, when he went to the VA and he had TBI and some other uh, more physical injuries, and he, he went and talked to the woman there and um, the counselor, and he said, okay, how long will this take? Because he had a file of an appeal, and she said five. And he said five weeks, okay. And she said, no, five years. That's how long it's going to take to get through your claim. And so that was, I called her because I couldn't believe that was the state of affairs. And so, Lauren, I'd like to talk to you about that and see what's going on and what you discovered in your investigation, how this is taking so long. Back in, uh, unfortunately, Justin, what you're hearing is accurate. And I, I say that being... Uh, carefully choosing my words. It's 
back in 2010, the union contract for AFGE union employees came up for renewal to go into effect in 2011. The largest part of that contract discussion and negotiation was about the rating examiners and how their performance awards, i.e. bonuses, were to be calculated. The employees were upset and because of the extreme amount of claims out there in the world and in their inventory, they felt that they weren't being compensated enough um, to handle especially complex claims. So the union officials and at the time former Undersecretary Hickey negotiated a contract whereby instead of getting performance awards for handling a claim cradle to grave and making sure that it was adjudicated properly, they flipped it over to what's called a keystroking method. And that's taken from the collection industry. Keystroking is exactly what it sounds like that the points or tallies are kept based on every keystroke that the collector or in this case the rating examiner makes initially after it happened a lot of people saw in the va claims world saw numerous letters coming out thank you for your patience we're working on your claim sorry it's taking so long right there were people that were getting up to five letters at a time saying this what nobody put two and two together was that every single time they opened a claim and that is a separate issue, how they open them and what happens when they open a claim. Um, the rating examiners were allowed to open a claim, send out a letter, and they got a performance point for it. The problem is, is that in spite of the fact that <clears throat> uh, former chairman of the House Committee, uh, Jeff Miller, was acutely aware of this and pushed really hard uh, behind the scenes <clears throat> before the current contract went into place to get this removed, uh, it didn't happen mm -hmm. because the union is extremely powerful. So that stays in place. And when we did our investigation, what we discovered was <clears throat> not only was that in place, but when the VA talks about ratings and claim numbers, there are 13 categories of claims in their Monday morning mm -hmm. workload report, which they've been reporting to Congress for 15 years. Um, what they hand out in press releases and discuss during testimony, both in the Senate and the House, is four categories. So when, <clears throat> excuse me, former undersec or former Secretary uh, Shinseki touted that the VA had beat the backlog, it was a bald-faced lie. Uh, they at that point we actually have the numerics and the data taken directly from their report that showed that their inventory had changed less than 50,000 claims numbers in four years. Mm. They, their whole sale wow. inventory was still the same. They had just literally picked up one pile of dirty laundry and moved it to another corner, which is now what the appeals are at. Well, how is your, how is your findings and the fruits of your investigation being received by the big VSOs who spend a lot of time on Capitol Hill and spend a lot of time helping veterans uh, with their VA claims. And this is uh, working day in and day out. Well, I will be very honest with you because we've publicized this in the past. Um, we've been very fortunate this round that some of the VSOs, and I say some, um, have been more uh, approachable and more interested in working with us. 
the last time when we were discussing the claims, and I'll call it what it was, the debacle, um, the complete catastrophe and breakdown of the claims process, the uh, as a 100% disabled combat veteran from a foreign war, I was not only eligible for uh, membership in the VFW, but also the DAV. The VFW said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that they would not work with us in any fashion because it would jeopardize their relationship with the VA, which is to the tune of several million dollars a year in grants. The DAV has banned me for life because of the work that I do, because I refuse to play nice. I refuse to have all the polite cow-towing thing. I'm going to tell right. the truth every single time. So that's how they took it when we came out with our numbers and our facts. That, that sounds like a, a rough scenario uh, for several reasons. But when you testify on Capitol Hill, I, I didn't see that. So um, I, I wish I had. How was that received, at least spatially, by the, the congressmen and women? The legislators, not only that were involved in that particular hearing, it was a, a DAMA, the Disability and Memorial Affairs Subcommittee hearing, those, those panelists were very receptive with the exception of there was some skepticism because we were complete unknown. Um, later down the road, I will tell you that uh, because we only speak in facts, we don't varnish the truth, and we flat out refuse to support any uh, glad handing we were later well received by the ranking party at the time. We were invited to come and brief them on our claims model of how to fix the claims process. We were invited to uh, meet with Speaker Boehner and discuss it with him. Uh, so it did get better as time wore on, which I think led to where we're at now. You know, Lauren, I've, I've got to bring up a question. Um, it seems to me that one of the things you bring to the table that hasn't always been present are solutions. So that when you come with evidence, when you come with an investigation, when you come with your truth, as you, you also come with suggestions on what could be done to change things. Because you've taken a look from the inside, from the outside, and you have a broad view of what you've investigating been investigating and you come with solutions and that surprises people because I think for a while it's always been a let's just bash the VA or let's just bring up all the dirty laundry or let's just talk about how everyone's taking advantage of the system instead of saying okay these are the issues those are facts and here are some suggestions to make a difference. Do you believe that that is perhaps why you're being better received and pulled into the fold from people who've been around for decades? I honestly do believe that, Linda. This latest round um, of invitation minutes, what have you, to get into D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, was uh, we were the only VSO at the table that had any suggestions that had any even recommendations for solutions to correct, do some course corrections for a program that is heading for the cliff. Mm -hmm. And 
that was it was so startling to have these the big you know the adult table had invited us to come and sit and but those adults were actually reaching out to us and asking for our input and that was rather surprising well i I, in full disclosure, I've been working with, we're talking about the VA caregiver program. And I think most of you know that I run veterancaregiver.com. And I became acquainted with Lauren when they took on the VA caregiver program and some of the inconsistency, the, the messaging issues. And we and other organizations work together about this. So the Hill hearing that Lauren is talking about we're coming up on another break, but we will talk in detail about this latest program and the steps that are being taken, the solutions that are being offered, and also the receptivity when truth is spoken. It is an interesting thing in Washington, and, and I'll ask you just to briefly comment on this because, as you said, you don't color the truth or embellish it. But let's face it, D.C. has D.C. speak. And you are well-versed enough to know that when you come into Washington, that there's a different way to be. And so <laughs> I, I, here's a broad question, but I need a shorter answer. Um, how do you feel that the truth is received by legislators who think they may know the issues and by VSOs who constantly work with um, the DC speak and, and all of the normal way of dealing. How's that work? Uh, well, I asked just ask a question of your producer, but um, I, let's leave I that live, part out. I, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's a it's a quote from Harry Truman. Um, okay, that's fine. Our, our former president had said, um, "People think I give them hell, and I don't. I just tell them the truth, and they think it's hell." Uh, that's that's truly how it feels sometimes. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes the reception is, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're, you have all this information. And the other times it's, I've had legislators scream in my face. <laughs> so, um, that I, I love was, it. We're going out on, on our second break. And when we come back, we will talk about the current investigation, what occurred with it, and what next steps are. We are talking with Lauren Price of Veteran Warriors veteran advocacy and we'll be right back we're military network radio and we'll be right back after these short messages Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network.
celebration of what would have been author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl's 100th birthday, Oxford University Press has published the Oxford Roald Dahl Dictionary. The dictionary is both authoritative and a little bit mischievous and includes everyday words plus those invented by Dahl for his books. One of my favorite words from the dictionary is Zazimus. That is what the big friendly giant calls the stuff that dreams are made of, which he whisks with his magical egg beater. Roald Dahl loves the letter Z, which he uses in his mystical words like fizz whizzing, zip fizzing, and zunk. By now you might be feeling a bit biff squiggled. That's another word for confused or puzzled. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're talking with Lauren Price of Veteran Warriors, an advocacy group nationwide, and their current project is working on the VA Caregiver Program, which those who are involved in the program know that a number of organizations, including very specifically veteran warriors, have affected a, what I believe is still continuing, but uh, was timed out at three-week suspension of the program due to the number of uh, people being revoked out of the program with some inconsistent messaging with inconsistent appeals process, even even process in general. And we became involved with working with Lauren and other organizations um, to talk about the caregiver program because it was something we were well-versed in. Lauren, talk about how this came to your attention and how you all took this on and began your survey and gathered the process all the way up to uh, the 27th of April's uh, caregiver panel uh, with the HVAC Subcommittee on Health. As I said earlier, this started last summer after my husband was revoked from the VA caregiver program. Obviously, he didn't quit his job. He's still my caregiver. Um, but the what we found were huge inconsistencies in statements made by the caregiver nurse during what we actually pulled his phone record to discover it was a six minute call. Um, she claimed that she added, asked my husband over 30 questions. Unless she was an auctioneer, she couldn't have done it in six minutes. Um, <laughs> and the statements that, yeah, the statements that she credited my husband with were statements that even the verbiage alone um, was, she was the caregiver nurse for our location is a foreign born. Um, and it was not a term or terminology that my husband would have ever used. And it actually belied the fact that we had hired professional help to assist us with things, utilizing the caregiver funds for those purposes. And they, the leadership at that facility refused to have her change her stuff, um, her record. But when we started digging into it, because our congressman was involved in it, who also happens to be the vice chair of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, uh, and what they were seeing when they were refused information, who you don't refuse to sit in congressmen, their information requests, um, they were shocked as well. So we started just, you know, Google's a beautiful thing. And we started Googling the, the caregiver program. And what we discovered was some very bizarre 
cases of mass revocations. 300 cases in Denver, a few months later, another 250, a few months later, 220 in Arizona, and on and on. And that, over the course of a couple of months, we just started going, there's something drastically wrong. Um, that just statistically, it doesn't work. My husband's a nuclear engineer, so he thinks math brain. And he's like, the, st the statistics just won't work. We have to figure out what's going on. We started in January, early January, we started a survey and just reached out to the veteran community as a whole. And over the course of our work, we've made associations with other advocates, other Facebook organizations, some of, who, some of whom have several million followers and sent the survey out to them and said, hey, just please share it. It's anonymous, um, no PII is collected. We're just curious to see if if it's just a blip on the radar or if this is a, actually an iceberg we're looking at. And as it turned out, it was an iceberg. And in by the time we got our, our preliminary investigation was completed and that was based on um, some information that was disseminated directly to Congress from the national director of the program, as well as uh, information collected analogously from caregivers across the nation, we have over 400 cases of what we call the egregious cases. Um, they're representative cases is what we took on to include in the evidence. These are cases where the veteran was catastrophically wounded. Uh, one case we have, just as an example, the man was shot in the head. Uh, beyond just a TBI, he has the intellect and capacity of about a 10 year old he will need a full-time caregiver the rest of his life. And he, his caregiver was revoked from the program, dropped. And it was said, congratulations, he's graduated. We're proud of his recovery. Um, he'll never recover. These are the types of cases we took as evidence of examples of unlawful revocation. There were tier reductions, same types of cases, but dropped from tier three, the highest level, down to tier one, the lowest level, and saying that the veteran no longer requires this level of care. One case, the veteran was bedridden, has been for six years. That veteran's care level did not change at all. And the terminology of graduation, terms like short-term recovery-based, graduation, all of these things, none of those things were in the law. And it's one of, actually, Congress did a good job on this one. It was a really small law, and it's relatively well laid out in lay terms. The law and the final rule, they call it, which is a policy document helping them to discern the finer points, are, are both pretty clear. And every syllable of some of these revocation letters we were getting from as far away as Alaska and Hawaii were virtually identical. Um, we're still to this moment, as of uh, a Friday, there was a huge uh, VSO slash VA event in Hawaii where the VA was briefing VSOs that this is a recovery-based short-term program designed towards rehabilitation and graduation of the veteran. None of this is true. I've spoken with the national director about this specifically 
She responded that none of this language is in the law. None of it is factual. Yet, uh, from what I understand, her hands are tied that she cannot stop the visions at the local facilities from utilizing this language. That in and of itself is a dysfunction. I'm not suggesting that we give her office more power. I'm suggesting that we involve and chain to the desk if we have to, whoever does have that power. Because someone handling policy has to be able to make sure that those policies are enforced. Lauren, a question about the carrier program for those who are less familiar with it. One of the things that's, that's fairly interesting is that there, the stories that you're talking about, the cases that you're talking about, ended up having uh, a lot of similarities with them with, with terms to language. This went across several departments at VA and the communication was breaking down. And one of the reasons for the suspension of the by the secretary to stop people being dropped from the program for a period of time was for an internal review. Following the panel meeting with, with the VA committee at the end of April, you were given a meeting with the secretary's office. Do you have a feeling at this point for what will come next? Will there be changes made? If they are, how will they be communicated? Because one of the biggest issues in any bureaucracy is the communication in the setting of expectations. So at the Hill meeting, for example, that was one of the questions asked and I was present there. And they said, are the expectations being set properly and I think well, everyone around that table was saying well we don't even know what expectations we are supposed to be setting because there were other allegations about things like fraud and entitlements and different eras and there's a lot of things that get mixed up in this conversation about caregivers because this program covers strictly the post 9-11 veterans and their issues do you want to address any and all of those points? Well, I'm going to start with the internal review. Okay. The secretary, quite out of nowhere, um, we've been reaching directly to the secretary's office for several months without any response. And out of a clear blue sky comes this suspension of all revocations with the exception of what we call voluntary ones by the caregiver or the veteran. Um, that in and of itself was a shock, but for there to be the tag along of this internal review, uh, we were surprised. At no point has a discussion been laid out as to what that internal review was to be mm -hmm. and what it was going to be comprised of, what were the goals, what were they looking at. Um, when we met with the secretary's office on that Friday, uh, the last Friday in April, we asked the question. It didn't really get much of an answer. It was pretty vague. I don't think that the secretaries actually uh, propagated what the goals were. I don't even know actually who's doing this internal review or obviously what it's comprised of. We did provide our recommendations, which were by all appearances, extremely well received. Mm -hmm. And they were asked for 
very specific, which is part of the reason for that meeting, was they asked us to elaborate on these recommendations. They wanted the fine details. And we provided all of those. It was a two-page document of our recommendations on how to make corrections to this program and things to be looking at. As the program expired, yes, or the suspension expired yesterday, um, no one, to the best of my knowledge, and I've been kind of scouring this morning through the VSO, and yeah. we found nothing. I plan on actually um, sending an email this morning, later this morning, to the, uh, she is the Veterans Experience Officer, Dr. Linda Davis, and is one of the people we met with during that meeting. And I'm going to come right out and ask, has there been any discussion? Where are we at now? What's the next step? Because obviously everybody wants to know. It is literally on everyone's tongue. It's very uh, discussed on Facebook right now, which is the plate. People are getting their information, and I will venture to say a lot of misinformation. And so I think it's really important that the communication is clear from the VA. When you make a suspension and you give it a date of three weeks and that time is up, there are a lot of people waiting for answers. We are coming up on a break again. I'm so sorry. We could fill this time up very, very easily. And we will talk after the break about some of the, the things that you talk about. Um, one of the hashtags that you have used is to overhaul the VA. And I want to know after the break, do you use that for shock value or to put a stake in the sand? We're going to go on a quick break and we'll be back right after these messages and we'll be talking with Lauren Price further on Veteran Warriors. We're Military Network Radio and we'll be right back after these short messages. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start Living Inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. spend a lot of time in front of it. But do you know who invented the television set? The short answer is John Logie Baird, who invented the television set in 1925. The longer answer is that many people worked on different inventions that eventually came together to make a television set. The very first television show was a broadcast of the opening ceremony of the New York World's Fair in 1939. The first television commercial was for Bull of Watches. The cost of that commercial? $4. And so began the herkle-durkle and thurgy-lurgy, or the idle relaxation of watching television. Of course, in the early days, we got a lot of exercise watching TV. We had to walk both ways to the television set to change the channel. It's marching. 
Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Veteran Caregiver. Excuse me. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're talking about the various organizations that are working on this caregiver program. And Lauren, I asked you, because it's a hashtag you use, and I believe I know the answer, but let's put it out there. You use a hashtag called Overhaul the VA because there are some very large systemic issues that you're dealing with, and the caregiver program encompasses a lot of them. And give a reason for our listeners on why you use that and how you intend to help do just exactly that, to improve things for your brothers and sisters in service. Well, Overhaul the VA actually came about while we were doing our claims investigation. Hmm? And that was because... uh, Immediately, well, no, not immediately, almost a year later, uh, we were asked by two senators who were working on a, um, a task force about the VA and about the claims backlog. Uh, they asked us for a position paper on an omnibus bill. Mm-hmm. And for those unfamiliar with an omnibus bill, they should just say a giant bag of horse dung filled with <laughs> every veteran's bill out there. They pushed them all together. There were over 300 bills included in this omnibus bill. And they asked us with four days notice to provide position paper on each one. Mm. We literally locked down the phones in the office and went to task on them. And what we discovered was there are probably 50% of the bills going through Congress are put there by the VA to either create or supplement programs that they already have um and a lot of them are very secular which those of us in the veteran community take great offense to people trying to divide us Mm -hmm. um justin's a marine we were navy we'll give him a ride anytime he wants um and and we can (laughs) each other but you're right you're right others try to get in the middle of it and unfortunately the va is literally given the second largest budget in the country to do just that. So when we talk about overhauling the VA, the IRS was overhauled in the 80s. And some of us are old enough to remember the president coming on TV and saying, we will have a kinder, gentler IRS. We want that for the VA. It took seven years for that overhaul to happen. And it was the grassroots efforts that started it. And that's truly what we believe we have. We've recognized and acknowledged and investigated all the sectors of the VA hiring, their legal practices, the BVA, how the BVA works, the fact that only a veteran can file a tort claim for malpractice when their loved one is maliciously injured or killed by medical malfeasance. None of this works outside of the VA. None of those systems are allowed to function. They're all legislated and documented and prosecute it. Yet the VA gets to act with impunity because they have their own set of rules and laws. So when we talk about overhauling the VA, we mean that literally. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a war cry. 
it truly is a line in the sand that mm-hmm. we need to acknowledge that this behemoth was never designed to be a federal agency. There was no foundation put in place for it to run as a federal agency. And much like the cracker homes in Florida, it was added on, added on piecemeal without any foundation under any program, just like the caregiver program. It was it was funded, a law was created with some basic eligibility, but absolutely no protocols, no processes, nothing written as to how it was to be managed. That is how every single program in the VA functions. Lauren, let's go back to the caregiver program because we're limited on time right now. And I I do want to make sure our listeners understand the thoroughness at which you come at these issues. So at the Hill hearing, one of the big disconnects that I saw was with legislators who really didn't, who had a different agenda and VSOs who knew some of the parts of the law and some were less familiar with because it isn't something they work with as frequently. What do you do when you have this miscommunication with three very different groups? So VA, uh, VSOs, and legislators on trying to help a small but very vulnerable group of veterans, those grievously injured and needing caregivers. Justin brought up on the break about the fact that financially this has to work or else it will cost more. And yet we heard legislators discussing fraud, waste, and abuse on the part of these injured veterans. Not that there isn't some, there must be. There always is in every large program. But that isn't the point. The point is what you said, how do you work without processes and solutions in place? Clear-cut messaging. Well, and, and I have to insert this here. We stand by the fact that we do not believe it is a communication training or oversight issue. Mm-hmm. None of these problems are from lack of training. What we have is you cannot train empathy, compassion, or integrity into people. When you have employees who threaten people, who will utilize a veteran's disabilities as leverage to coerce cooperation with unlawful acts, these are not communication problems. The law is you can get it in Google in less than a second. Mm -hmm. If any person involved in operating this program was ever in doubt as to what the law says, what they're supposed to be doing, who's eligible, all they have to do is Google it. Mm -hmm. And if their leadership won't give it to them, they can sit down and it will take them at a fifth grade level, it will take them less than 10 minutes to read the law. And they will have their understanding. So I don't have much mercy for anyone claiming ignorance of the law. Mm -hmm. The fact is all we can do is educate them. Here's the law. Here's the final rule, which are the basis for the policies of how things are done. Read them, understand them, commit them to memory. Because if you work for the VA and you manage a VA program and you manage federal dollars, which are taxpayer money, you have an obligation to understand it forward and backward and to never abuse those who are subjected to this program. One of our recommendations is to take all of these small programs caregiver, aid in attendance, home-based health care, 
and put them under one umbrella and put them with at the as a gatekeeper a case manager that would be assigned to a disabled veteran who would go through and do an assessment a full assessment mental and physical cooperating with both VA and non-VA providers to determine what programs the veteran would be eligible for because VSOs are trained in claims they are not trained in how to handle TBIs or seizures or half your brain missing because it got shot off they're not Therefore, we need case managers who will soup to nuts, cradle to grave, handle the veteran's case to make sure every single benefit they're eligible for is in front of them available for use. And it was actually one of the key recommendations that was extremely well received by the secretary's office representatives. Mm-hmm. Because these well, Lauren, over, the, over the years, a number of groups have recommended a caregiver or a case manager both on the DOD side and also at the VA. So I'm a little surprised to hear that this has not been fully embraced and activated. Well, I'm not surprised. Our our organization worked with a very large VSO, Concerned Veterans for America, for two and a half years on the health care reform package that they proposed. And a lot of people are very afraid of that package because there are some things in it that... Um, don't please every veteran. And I have to tell you, a lot of our recommendations, I worked directly with Pete Hegseth on that on that whole package. A lot of our recommendations are still in that package and are still being floated through Congress. Because the, the problem is, again, federal government is literally like the enterprise. It is a battleship. It is an aircraft carrier. You cannot turn it change the way it functions or the way that something's going down the road, you're not going to do that in one legislative session. It just doesn't happen that way. Well, certainly, I, I used to work on Capitol Hill with the Senate Veteran Affairs Committee, and, and there are lots of bills that, that have to be considered um, from Senate and the House, both parties, and they have to... Um, some get thrown away, some get assembled into the omnibus bill, but there's lots of different things to worry about. But it does seem like uh, the caregiver issue should be a significant one because, uh, as you mentioned, there are more and more of us who need either short-term or long-term or permanent caregivers. And uh, I think, in my layman opinion, asking for a uh, case manager to shepherd you through a very complex system and make sure that the veterans and caregivers receive what they need and also in a way that's most uh, financially responsible for the government isn't a lot to ask for. Well, and I think that's the thing we're not seeing is that we have to step back from we need to fix this one little tiny program to we need to look at this on a much larger scale because yeah. every single soldier will be a veteran. Whether or not they need care is a different situation. But we have to have somebody at the beginning of the process, not right. at the end. Right. And, and what you're bringing up is, again, what you started with, which is that the conversation between DOD and VA, whether it's interoperability on the IT level and the medical records, or even the warm handoff, is, is in place technically but it is not in place in practice. And we've all seen it, the IDES process, the RCCs, the FRCs, there's some very good programs, but they're not coordinated in any great fashion. Lauren, we have only 
little less than two minutes left. How do people find out more about you and what you're doing and how to become part of it? Well, obviously, social media is our friend. Um, Facebook, you can find us. Just look for Veteran Warriors. Um, we are Vet Warriors one We are on Twitter. And we are under construction on a website that's going to take us a little bit of time. But it's very important. If nothing else, reach out to our Facebook page. It is solely about the VA. We don't post a bunch of feel-good, touchy-feely, hug-your-kitty-this-morning stuff. It's solely about the VA. So, And if you have questions, facts will be there. Wonderful. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing Veteran Warriors with us today. This information is extremely valuable, and now people have another resource to go to. Thank you so much. VeteranWarriorsAdvocacy.com will be the new Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 